Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to a special interview edition of The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host and podcast editor over at The Playlist, Eric McClanahan. And this week I'm interviewing Ciro Guerra, director of the wonderful Colombian Oscar-nominated film Embrace of the Serpent. The film, an adventure story about an Amazonian shaman helping two explorers seek out a special hallucinogenic plant, opened in limited release in February, where I named it in my monthly column at the playlist as the film to see for that month, and now is making its way to other theaters across the country. It's a beautiful, funny, and wholly entertaining piece of work, and I highly recommend you check it out when it opens this Friday. But without further ado, let's drop you into my chat with Ciro Guerra where I led off by asking him about his experience at the recent Oscar ceremony. It was quite fun. It was quite crazy. Mm-hmm. Also, but it's one of is this one of a one of a kind of experiences that you don't get to see every day. So it's a, it was tremendously. I had a very good time. Mm-hmm. The Academy made us film made us feel really welcome. Uh, we had the, the Oscar. The, the other events that we had, you know, the cocktail and the symposium, mm. it was a great chance to meet uh, people from the other films and spend time with them and getting to know the other nominees, and it was it was great, you know, and I, and I just met so many greatly talented people that I've, I've admired for many long time for a long time. So, yes, it's a, it, it really it really is a um, uh, uh, a great experience. Mm-hmm. As for the ceremony, you know, it's. Uh, I, 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 we were kind of relieved that we didn't win, <laughs> because you know it's, it's it just make, makes it. Uh, we knew that there was a favorite going in, mm. and it was great not to be the favorite, you know, because uh, it can be a lot of pressure, you know, and even winning, you know, it can be a lot of pressure. So it's uh, we just had a great time. It was a, a first time for Colombia, so we we just made the best of it, and we really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I mean, I wanted to say that too. Uh, con- yeah, so I love your attitude about it, and that's wonderful to hear that you just enjoyed the process. Um, but yeah, so this was the first nomination for Colombia um, as a country, and it just um, what what do you see that effect on the industry where you in your country where you make movies? Is it going to have a? Do you think it'll bring some more attention, allow more films to get made? It has been great news for Colombia. People here have been really enthusiastic about it. They've been really happy. It was something that was expected from for many years, and it hadn't happened. So it was uh, a privilege for us to have been the ones to to live this experience. And uh, and yes, uh, I, I think it's a moment of great enthusiasm. It's a very special moment for the country. You know, uh, we are if hopefully this is the year in which the a peace agreement will be signed mm. that will put an end to a, a 50-year-old conflict. And so it's uh, when when societies are coming out of these dark ages, you know, of war and conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, the arts have a renaissance. You know, they, they are, it's accompanied by a renaissance in the arts, 
and Colombia is definitely living that. I think I think there's a lot of young people, many creative people, and many stories to tell and and a lot to to think about. No, mm-hmm. so it's a, the film is part of this process, and and the and Colombian cinema has been growing exponentially in the last decade. So people, it's just a, a great sign, a, a healthy sign. And yes, there are, there's a, an enthusiasm again for Colombian films, which is, which hopefully will lead to more films being made, and not only more, but better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Here, here. Um, well, that leads me to my next question is, um, I recently caught up with your second film, The Wind Journeys, uh, just, just last week, actually. Uh, believe it or not, we still have video stores here in Portland, so I was able to, to rent a DVD of The Wind Journeys, and... Man, I just wanted to say I, I almost loved it as much as I did Embrace of the Serpent, which, you know, right now Embrace of the Serpent is my favorite movie of this year. I just I'm in love with it. But The Wind Journeys, um, I'd, I'd like to just know a little bit about, um, I, you know, it takes time to make films, obviously, but The Wind Journeys started to surface and screen around 2009 and Embrace of the Serpent premiered last year at Cannes. So that's about a five, six year gap. Is that just sort of normal for you? Because I know your first film had a similar gap between that and wind journeys is, is that just take, is that just the normal process for you or does it, um, or were you held up to try to get these films made? Um, yes, that's, that's been sort of the normal process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 it's not easy to make films in Colombia. It's not easy to raise financing for them. It, it, it usually takes a long time. And, and I'm also, I also take a long time because I, uh, I wrote the scripts, mm-hmm. so that's that. Definitely, there's a process of research and a process of thought, thinking, you know, deeply about the films that really takes years. You know, I'm not a machine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a and and it's been good for me so far. Mm-hmm. Not in a hurry to make films say, once once a year. You know, it's mm-hmm. for me, it's a very demanding process to make a film. I, when I started one of these processes, it's almost scary. You know. Mm. But uh, yes, there are many people even here in Colombia who who like that film better than even Embrace. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a very special film for me. It's a very personal film for me, and uh, and yes, I I I, I I I I cannot rank my films. You know, I love them. I have I am very fond of them all. But yes, I think The Wind Journeys was a very special film also. Yeah, it is, and I'm just wondering if part of the other process for you that naturally takes time as you were describing is I read at least with embrace of the serpent, but I think it applies to your other films is that you kind of, as you're making them, you're, you're sort of working intuitively with the material and you might adapt it as you're going. And, uh, you kind of see making the film as an adventure that you're there to discover is, is that correct? And, you know, is that the other thing that might just take time naturally to, to find those elements? Yes. It's a, I don't like to start a film, you know, when I, if I know beforehand the film that I'm gonna make, then there's no no there's it, it doesn't it's not interesting for me to make it you know mm. it's a process of discovery uh, of learning of learning about the film but also learning about myself and the people that I work with so yeah it's a I just try to keep it uh, flowing in a very natural way and not try to force it mm. uh, usually there has there there have been also delays in in shooting, you know, you think you're... I thought Embrace was going to be faster because The Wind Journeys was kind of a small success. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, a lot of doors were opened, but uh, when I started working on Embrace, it just it just took way longer than I expected. You know, I thought this film 
was going to be made at least three years before it eventually got made. So, because it, because the process of research was so daunting, and the, and also the financing process turned out to be way more difficult than we had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that process, finding funding and financing the movie, must be like the least fun process of the movie for you. Is that is that fair? Oh yeah, it's the most difficult part of the film. <laughs> Always <Yeah>. is, right? <laughs> yeah, sadly. <laughs> this is true. Well, you know, hopefully more doors are opening for you and it won't be such a struggle because uh, we, we need more films from you, sir, please. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I guess I wanted to focus specifically on a few sequences from each film, uh, one in The Wind Journeys and one from Embrace of the Serpent. Um, let's start with The Wind Journeys and then we can really dive more into The Embrace of the Serpent since that's the movie we're here to talk about. But that that accordion duel in the wind journeys the the one where the lead character finally steps in um and it's a sequence that takes place for about it's like a good five or six minutes and you see several other people step up to challenge this this gentleman who's the reigning champion in the accordion duel and then finally you know our hero of the story steps in it's something we've been waiting for and i gotta tell you man that sequence was like transcendent for me like it put i was laughing i was i was giddy with laughter just as i was enjoying it and watching it and i just love to know you know i know it's been a while since you made the film but just maybe talk about that that moment in that film how it came together but also um how sequences sort of i feel like a lot of your your films are filled with sequences like this like memorable moments that sort of piece the whole thing together Yeah, well, that, that's a sequence that was important for me. It's uh, the, the representation of the tradition of the piqueria, which is the accordion duel between between musicians, which used to be the, the way you, you see it in the film. Now it's different. Now it's become different, but it's, uh, it's something that is still alive, and, I, and it's just uh, such a, an exhilarating moment in, in music creation, you know, music improvisation, that when, when I witnessed it, you know, I knew, I know, I knew that... I needed to portray it on, on film sometime. Once I, but when as when I started making it, it became an integral part of the. I knew that it was going to be one of the main scenes in the Wind Journey. So when, but it, it, it's actually that sequence I think is the most demanding, challenging sequence I've ever done because it was difficult in every level. Mm. It was difficult to write. It was difficult to rehearse. It was difficult to. To doing is to put in scene, you know. It was difficult to edit. It was difficult to do the sound. Yeah, it was. It was just a, a sequence that was tremendously difficult. But uh, yes, it's uh, because we, we we had planned to do it in a certain way, in which uh, we were very prepared, you know, and all the improvisational part of it was sort of staged. Mm. But then we realized that it wasn't going to work. You know, this sort of thing has to be live mm-hmm. in order to work. So, because it went, went once we, we we thought that we were going to do it sort of like a music video, okay. in which you record 
which you recorded before and then you just dub it. Mm -hmm. But then what happened was that you lose the entire intensity of the scene mm. and everyone, the crowd and everyone just loses it, you know. Mm. So we so we just had to put it together in, and do it live, which was extremely difficult for everyone in the team. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, it, it shows, you know, it's, uh, that's what gives the the the... the, the Special energy that the scene has, and when we did, we were we did. A, there's a take in that in that sequence that is about six minutes long, mm -hmm. a single take. Mm -hmm. And when we were going to do six take two, you know, it, uh, the energy was gone. <laughs> the energy was gone, you know. So it's a, it's just some such a special moment in which you have to capture a, an energy that when once the moment passes, you know, you cannot possibly retrieve it. Yeah, no, I mean, and it definitely shows in that sequence. Um, I'm just curious because, um, you know, part of the thing I personally love about watching uh, films from other countries is, you know, experiencing other cultures, other things that I just haven't been exposed to, you know, myself in my life here. And but yet at the same time, being able to relate something different. Uh, as in the accordion duel to something that I'm familiar with. And I just wondered if you're familiar with like um, here in America, there's like, you know, there's been movies about it. Like the Eminem movie, eight mile was all about these rap battles that would happen. Like, are you familiar with this, you know, like in hip hop music at all? I, I, I knew the, the, the musical duels in hip hop. And I knew that there's a tradition of that in blues, also in blues music or maybe country, mm. country music. And there's also the story of, the devil went down to Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I was fascinated by how this story, this story of the of that you, we portrayed of the accordion of the devil's accordion and the duel with the devil. It's something that is a very, a very, a very important story here in, in, in Caribbean music. But once you realize that this story repeats itself everywhere, you know, you find it in in blues music, you find it in tango music, you find it in Balkanic music. There's also the story of Paganini, you know. Okay, so now let's uh, let's dive into Embrace of the Serpent and the the sequence in particular. I mean, I love a lot of moments in Embrace of the Serpent. I find uh, now that I've seen it three times, I kind of every every as I watch it now, I look forward to all these various moments and one in particular that just um, I adored the first time I saw it in a film festival last year was the way you uh, literally connect your two stories in one take so uh maybe it's about midway through the film and the earlier uh section with the young karmakate character they they take off in the river uh they're leaving they're leaving one place and the camera doesn't follow them and instead turns left and away and goes up river and uh after about 10 15 seconds catches up with our you know, the older Karmakate and the American Explorer, you know, in, in, in a different time period, but all in one take. And I'm just, I would love to know how you conceived of that, that idea of linking, you know, different time periods without uh, a, an actual cut in the film. And um, yeah, where, where the inspiration came from. Yes, in, in, the, in the early versions of the script, uh, it was a very Western script in the way that everything was clear, everything was explained, and everything, you know, all the all the dates were perfectly clear and all the locations were perfectly clear and everything. But then as I started working with the Amazonian people, I, I, I realized that their conception of time is completely different, and the film is essentially a medium of time. That's uh, the clay that we work on with cinema, you know, cinema is made of fragments of time. So I wanted the film to, to, I realized that what was going to make the film special and unique 
would be that, that it was told from that perspective. So that, and that included this different understanding of time, in which you know time is not a linear uh, sequence, in the, which is how we're taught to experience it. But you know, Amazonian people see it more as Amazonian shamans, especially mm. see it more as a simultaneous multiplicity, which is funnily ex- extremely close to the way quantum physicists define time. So I want, so I wanted the film to to be an expression of that. So it's a and in Amazonian storytelling, it's a it's a storytelling in which past, pre, pre, present, and future intertwine and and dialogue and mirror each other. So that's uh, the, as the process of research went on. You know, the film became more and more imbued with this Amazonian spirit and it's the Amazonian way of storytelling. So I started realizing that. This, if I could, if we could create links between these different times, you know, that make them appear to be simultaneous, it would be close to the spirit of the Amazonian people, and and there is one that moment, we knew that there was one moment in which we had to do it uh, in the same shot, mm-hmm. so I chose this transition for that, and there was another moment in which we had to do it. Uh, through cuts, you know, that one, through a, how do you say, a shot counter shots? I don't know how to say it. Yeah, no, no that, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, when, in which one shot is, is like a dialogue, in which one shot is in one time, mm-hmm. and another shot is in another time, mm-hmm. which is the moment in which Karamakate sees Teo on the other bank of the river. Yeah, 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 near the end there, right? Yeah. You know, this this sort of two-pronged narrative. You know, you've got one set in about like the 1940s, if that's correct, and then the other in the early 1900s. Is that is that? Yes. Yep. So is that where that idea came from, was essentially to put us, the viewer, into the sort of mindset of, of a shaman like Karamakate because the movie sees time like you described the way he does or the way he, you know, shamans would. Um, so is that, that's just essentially how it, how it came about? Is that, is that what the intention was? Yes, yes, the film, the, the main thing about the film is that the point of view of the film is from the Amazonian shaman, because this, this story has, is, has been usually told from the point of view of the explorers, mm-hmm. so we really needed to flip this story on its head and turn it in and tell it from a different point of view, and when you, when you, when you switch the point of view, you realize that maybe history hasn't, has been told in, in a very one-dimensional way, so it's, so it's about I think that's something cinema can do. You know, it really can make you experience the world from a from a particular perspective, and uh, the perspective of Amazonian people is it's very difficult for us to understand. It's very difficult for us to get into it. So the film is an attempt to build a bridge between our the storytelling that we know and that we can understand, and their storytelling, which for us at first can be incomprehensible. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it, but yet I never felt lost with the film. And I think that's part of the magic of what you pull off with Embrace of the Serpent is that it it's it's a very accessible movie. I think by and large, I attribute that to the fact that it's just a really... Um, it's a really good adventure film. And I think anybody anywhere can relate to that. I think that's, that, you know, crosses cultures across the world, essentially. Like people can understand that yet. It's not a simple movie. You're not telling a simplistic narrative. It's quite complex. 
Um, and I just, you know, I commend you for that. I don't really have a question to go with on there, but yeah, I just, I think that's part of the secret there of, of what works is the way you talk about, you know, indigenous people and the way you wanted to give that perspective for, you know, one of the few times that's ever happened in cinema. You, you did that with this film. What do you think about, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, there's a whole subgenre of horror movies about the cannibal horror movies, you know, cannibal Holocaust and things like that, that portray indigenous, um, you know, people not in exactly a fair light, you know, it, you know, it, a lot of those movies are just light entertainment, you know, it's maybe we don't need to take them too seriously, but I wonder if part of your desire to make the story from that perspective was just beyond it just being, you know, like it's time we do that. But also like, did you want to have a response to movies like, you know, cannibal Holocaust or things like that, where people might get uh, a skewed version of a, of an indigenous person? Um, yes, recording what you were talking to f about first, mm. I thought it was it was very easy to make this a a cryptic film, you know, a, a film that very a niche a niche film for very few people to understand, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a problem with many of the most artistic, artistically daring films today, you know, that they are very close to a very uh, restrained niche. Mm -hmm. And I want and and, I, and and this the way that this this do it. Because of what this film was talking about, you know, it needed to be a film for that could be accessible for anyone, you know. Mm. So it, it 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 would have been on dishonest to make a, a a very cryptic film, you know, which is just something that we could have done, you know, a very esoteric, incomprehensible film, you know. It would have been dishonest because what the indigenous people that were collaborating with us. Uh, where was where, where the main interest was to communicate, you know, to communicate with the outside world and 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 to, and to an audience as large as possible. So it's important that the film was able that you were able anyone from whether or not they had any interest in in the Amazon before could be engaged and and, and entertained by the film mm. and uh, and seduced by the film. So it's a uh, that that's something that is very. Uh, that is at the, at the beginning, you know. It was that was the, my main struggle, writing the, the the script was that, you know, how to how do we make this film more more accessible, you know, how to how do we, how to invite the viewer in, you know. Yeah. And and as for the other films, I, I really don't. I've I it, I don't think that I can say that I am answering to those films. I don't know them very well, but I know that they. What they express, it's the view that uh, Western society has had of these indigenous communities forever. You know, they are just a, uh, they are just a, a, a continuation of that idea. You know, which is a very which is a very untruthful idea in the end. You know, because uh, it's this is a bit controversial in the anthropological world, mm. scientific world, but uh, Koch Grunberg. The scientists which inspired our, our film, Zayaris, mm -hmm. were our source of inspiration. He claimed that he saw no sign of cannibalism amongst the indigenous people, and something that was used as a way to to lay to put a label on them, mm -hmm. uh, to so that uh, so that it, to justify their extermination. You know, it's, it's something that we still see today. You know, when someone is labeled a terrorist. It used to be like that when someone was labeled a cannibal. You know, it was like they 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 you you can de deprive them of, of their humanity by putting attaching this label on them. So yes, that's that, that was the process that happened 
in Colombia and in many other in a lot of places during the early 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's just a sense in this film of like uh, it's so it's so elemental and naturalistic. Naturalistic. There's the whole adventure aspect of it that I love, but also um, you you come off as to me as a very sensual sensualistic filmmaker. Uh, you know everything uh, in in these films. Uh, there's like a sensory experience that that really is effective in the way you make films. And I'm you know I'm talking from the look of the pictures to the to the sound design, especially in Embrace of the Serpent. I just think the sound design is incredible, and the way you mix that with with the original music by um, uh, forgive me, is it Nasqui Linaire? Yeah, not as you say. Yeah, love love the music there, and but yet the sound design and the way you kind of use a the natural sounds of the jungle to to create almost a it's like a dimensional three dimensional effect on the viewer. For me, I feel like I'm what what I'm saying is the movie's very immersive in a way, and I think that's really important for cinema nowadays. Like things have to feel big if you're gonna, you know, mo- most people can watch movies at home on their TV screens, but to really go to to a theater and experience something on the big screen, I feel like a movie has to, it, it needs to deserve to be up on that big screen. And, and I love that about uh, the wind journeys and especially embrace the serpent is that it's, it's a big movie. It should be seen on a really big screen. And uh, I just would, you know, just curious what you think about, you know, using all those elements, the sensual, the elemental, the naturalistic to, uh, is that just, is that something that just comes naturally to you? Is that always been something you've wanted to do as a filmmaker? Yes, I'm, I'm a, I, I agree totally with you and in the sense that I think the cinema should be an experience. Mm. And uh, and I think it ha- the effect that cinema can have on the senses is something that I think it's no other art form can can come close to it, you know. So it's so for me it's always very important that the films are uh, that you can really feel where you are, you know. They they have a strong sense of place. And the tools of cinema allow you to do that, you know, to put you in there. Now, for Embrace of the Serpent, as when you when you mentioned the sound design, uh, we had a concept that we wanted to do. We the, the sound design is the work the the creation of Carlos Garcia, who is a brilliant Colombian sound designer who lives in who lives between Colombia and Denmark. Mm-hmm. He, he works with in the Centropa films, and okay. the, and he. He had this concept of we had this concept together of uh, creating a, a, a trance-like state through the sound, you know, using the sounds of nature and its frequencies in a way that it would imbu- would take the viewer into a trance-like state, you know, sort of a spiritual state, which is the, st- the state in which Amazonian people used to tell stories, you know, that they 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 you are sort of elevated by the sound. It's, it, but it, but it, you, you do that without only using the the frequencies of the natural environment, and that creates a a, a, a feeling that can only be experienced for in, in, in completely in the cinema. You know. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. Perfectly put. Um, well, you, you said your sound designer uh, lives between uh, sometimes in Colombia, sometimes in Denmark. So is that perhaps how you uh, came to meet? Uh, one of your main actors, Jan uh, Bivouet, the, the 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 actor who plays Theo, the the explorer in the film, because he's he's a Danish actor, if I'm correct, is that right, or is he actually German? No, he's Belgian. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, he's Belgian. Okay. I guess yeah. the reason I, I ask or I thought that is because um, I'm curious if you saw the film he was in from a few years ago called Borgman. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. and I, I love that film. So I'd love to know, yeah, how you came to meet him and if you saw the film, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. it was very difficult to find an actor who would be willing to do this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I was concerned about how he was going to work. And during that process at a festival, I saw Borgman. And, you know, it was like falling in love, you know. It was <laughs> everything in your body says, says tells you that it's him, you know. It's him, it's him, you know. And, and there was no turning back, it was him. He was exactly what I had imagined the character would be. And I, and I, had, I, did, I never got that feeling with any other actor. So I just contacted him through and, and, and sent him the script and sent him, he also saw my previous film. And, the, and you know, he's a really adventurous actor, you know. He's, he's a really sweet, tender guy, but also a very adventurous actor who likes challenges. So he, he, he took on this gigantic challenge, you know, with, uh, with such a level of rigor and compromise that was moving. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I'm so glad to hear you know you you liked Borgman as well. That was a movie a couple years ago that really blew me away. And there's just something about his face, like he has a face unlike anybody else. And uh, the camera definitely seems to to love that face. And I, I think you make really good use of it in the film. Um, I also I also think you re- make really good use of both your actors that portray Karamakate. Um, uh, Nilbio Torres plays the younger version. Antonio Bolivar plays the older version. I, I love them both. You know, it's like the movie wouldn't work in, without both of them giving really great performances and, you know, of course, making us believe that it's the same guy. They have to pull that off. Um, did you did you find these actors um, earlier in the process or later? How, how did you find them? It was a bit later in the process, you know. We uh, we we are once we found the place that we could shoot the film, which was the Valpes region in the northwest Amazon. We realized that we started going around the villages and and inviting people to be a part of the film and looking for actors, and and we found these wonderful actors, you know that, you know the, we we chose them because of their their personal story. Their personal backstory and 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 the and the way they looked on camera, you know, the the camera really they, they were really interesting, but uh, and they also had a personal story that was close to the to the film. So it was, uh, but it was a question for me, you know, are we going to be able to invite them to to act, and and are they going to be? Are we going to be able to pull it off? But it, it turned out to be much easier than I expected, you know, because. These people may not have a, a background in acting, and they don't have any contact with theater or, or something like that. But they have this oral tradition. You know, they tell stories to, for a life. That to them, it's important. It's essential. So they have the ability to to listen, and they know they know how to really listen. And I and I really didn't understand the meaning of listening until I spent time with them. So it was a lot easier than I expected. And they just brought so much of themselves onto the characters, and we, we we collaborated on the script, and they rewrote the script, and they they put many things, they corrected many things, and they put ma- much of their personal experience. Mm. So that's what that's. I agree with you. You know, definitely they they make the film special. You know, we hadn't had these kind of actors. You know, it, it, it's just something that you that you cannot fake. There's something that impo- about them that you just cannot fake. 
This is true. This is true. Um, uh, one of the locations in this film that just, I mean, I love, I, I kind of wish I could go everywhere that you shot this movie because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person that likes to, you know, get out in nature, do some camping, some backpacking. Of course, I've never seen anything like um, the location you find at the end of the film, the sort of, uh, there's like three mounds or, you know, they're, they're not mountains. They're like kind of large hills. And is that called the Cerros de Maracure? I, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. Is that the correct location? Yes, the Maracure Mountains, Los Cerros de Maracure, the Maracure Mountains. Yeah. How did you find them? Or had you always known about them? Or did you find them while you were scouting? How did that find, happen? Uh, I knew them from before. Mm-hmm. So when when we were scouting for the film, uh, I, I went and saw them. And, you know, and, and I was, but when I saw them, uh, I realized what a special place they are, you know, what a sacred, unbelievable place they are. And that was what we needed for the end of the film. It was originally planned in the Chiribiquete Mountains, which is another mountain Amazonian range, which is even more impressive. But uh, that 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 place is just unreachable. You know, it's it's uh, you need to go there by, to spend two weeks on a boat to get there, mm. and there's no there's not the possibility of bringing a crew there or staying there or anyway because. Uh, these Amazonian mountain ranges are very particular. They are unlike any other that you have that that exists. You know, these are some of the oldest mountains on Earth, and 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 they are the result of what's left of a, of what used to be a, a huge mountain range like the Andes. Oh, so wow. it's so it's it's and they are sacred to the people. You know, in in Amazonian the, the Amazonian people call them the the Puis. And you find a lot of them in Venezuela, some of, but some of them also in Colombia and Brazil. Even you saw up. What's that? Pixar? Oh yes, yes, up. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that location in the, the place in which they are in, in up is one of these places, you know. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Now I'm like visually remembering it. The the overall, if you could just talk about the look of the film, the decision. Um, I believe you shot it on 35 millimeter, and it's you know the decision to show it in black and white. Yes, uh, this the the film is inspired by the by the journals of the explorers, but also by the images that they took. You know, when I saw these images for the first time, they were very impressive for me because what you saw there was an Amazon that was completely different to the um, to the idea that you have of the Amazon, you know. It was an Amazon that was completely devoid of all this exuberance and exoticism, and it just felt like a different world, a different time speaking through you through those images. And when I went there, doing some, I started doing research on the film, I realized that it was not going to be possible to portray the colors of the Amazon on, on film, you know, and especially what they mean to the to the people there, you know. It's these are people that have 50 different words for what we call green. <laughs> so it's a, I just decided, I, 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 I just thought that this way I could tri- we could trigger the audience's imagination, you know. The Amazon that you see on the film, I, 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 I don't think it's the real Amazon. It's, it's an imagined Amazon, but that imagined Amazon is certainly going to be more real than what we could portray. Cuando se quiere se puede, a usted yo lo contrato y también a las mujeres. Es el amor, amor, el amor que me divierte, cuando estoy en la parranda, nunca puedo. 
Siro, thank you so much, man. I just, uh, uh, again, I, I adore this film. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, championing Embrace the Serpent all year long. Cause it's, you know, of course, finally just getting to our, our theaters here in Portland now. So yeah, thanks again for all your time, man. Um, you know, I, w- I'll, I'll, I'll sign off with you by just saying, I wish the Yakuruna plant was real because, um, that could be a fun experience for sure. So, um, you have a hell of an, an imagination, but, um, you're also a hell of a filmmaker. So I hope you keep, uh, you keep it up, man. And I can't wait to see what else you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's, um, it makes me very happy to find such enthusiastic people, uh, discovering the film and hopefully the audiences in Portland will be also as enthusiastic as you. I hope so too, man. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your day and, uh, I can't wait to see what else you got next and, uh, be well, sir. All right. Bye-bye, Eddie. Bye. Thank you. Para ponerlo en su 